The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. Every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. You can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore, and that couldn't be made any more clear by our guests today. We've got uh, Mark Stevens, Tom Lauk, and, uh, and Jason Spiker from uh, Penn State's uh, new medical campus at University Park. Welcome to the shows, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And um, before we jump into uh, the exciting prospect of a of a, a new medical uh, campus uh, starting up uh, next, uh, actually this fall, um, we like to get to know our guests before we uh, we jump in. And so, um, uh, what one? Uh, let's start with you, Mark. What one or two things should our listening audience know about you before we uh, get started? Probably the most salient would be um, I have a, a liberal arts background uh, and a 27-year career on active duty in the U.S. Navy. As a as a as a medical doctor and and um, yeah and one of the things that um, one of the things that we like to explore on the show is whether people have had an important unleashing experience along the lines of what Mark Somerville and I talk about in the uh, whole new engineer any. Any unle- un- unleashing where you had the were given the courage or the trust to have the courage to go off and do something that was a little off the beaten track in your career? I think so. You know, in, on in several decades on active duty, we are often in places from a medical perspective where you are not having a whole lot of resources, and so any number of experiences where an operational medical challenge confronts you, and you really have to use your wits to solve those. You know whether it's taking care of somebody who's been injured emotionally, physically, um, but but have had several of those experiences. Um, as you're getting started, it's a little bit risky, but at the end of the day, if you're taking good care of the patient, that's what matters. Ah, great. How about you, Tom? Uh, what should uh, what should our 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 guests know about you and any unleashing in your past? Yeah. So I, I like Mark. I have a, a liberal arts background. I graduated from Swarthmore College in Philadelphia in 2014. I studied psychology and neuroscience there. 
Uh, and I spent the last couple of years between graduation and, and starting my work here at the College of Medicine as a high school teacher. So I worked in Amman, Jordan as a mm. high school science teacher. And I think that was certainly an unleashing experience for me. It allowed me to really get my hands dirty in, in working with uh, students, working with young people, and, and testing my chops at, at leading people and, and working in a, an educational environment. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, J- J- Jason, how about you? Yeah, I, I also... Uh, Graduated from a a liberal arts college, I went to Eastern Mennonite University and graduated with a degree in biology. And following that, I spent um, a year volunteering with the Mennonite Voluntary Service in rural southern Colorado, uh, working in a public health department. So I think that was a really formative experience for me, um, just getting to know, sort of like Mark said, working in areas that have sometimes limited resources and trying to figure out how to use those resources wisely um, for the best goal and the best outcome for the group. So that was probably my unleashing experience. Yeah, so and it's so interesting that, uh, you know, so so often we talk about scaffolding experiences, but the, sometimes the most important ones are these ones where they're, they're unscripted, they're unscaffolded, and you're out there and, and you got to trust yourself and and uh, you, you come through or you don't come through, but but you learn a lot from the from the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. we can all echo in different ways that, that we've gone through that a bit. Yeah. And we're still going through it. So let's you know, let's jump into this. Um, um, Mark, you're you're a new prof on, on campus, but Jason and Tom are medical student design partners. And um, so that's not a term we hear every day. What's what's a an MSDP or medical student design partner? It's a wonderful question, and actually that, that title has changed several times over the last couple of months since we started our work here. Uh, we've kind of settled on medical student design partner because it, it kind of tells a little bit about our dual role, that, that in some of our responsibilities, we're working as, as medical students would, kind of piloting how a program might look from the perspective of a medical student, and since we are very much in, in those shoes, that, that's something we can do. On the other side, we're also spending a lot of our time and our responsibilities as design partners, where we're, we're working kind of... Uh, more on the behind the scenes, not not from the student perspective, but from the educator perspective about how is it that we can formulate challenges and 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 set up opportunities for students to really learn uh, as best as they can and in, in ways that are most interesting to them. Uh, so we're kind of hopping back and forth between the medical student side and the design partner side multiple times in any given day. Now, so let me make sure I get it. So like when Olin College started, they had uh, actually by accident, they had a a year-long program of having uh, partners as people who had applied to be students as part of the Olin program. In that case, it was an accident of the construction schedule that uh, the, the buildings weren't ready and the, and the students were brought on that had some of the students who were brought on that, um, to be be partners with the faculty in actually designing the curriculum that was launched a, a year later. Is that the spirit of this this activity? I think it is, Jason, here. I think it's it was maybe a little bit more intentional than that, but I think yep. that, that is the spirit in that it's where we applied to the Penn State College of Medicine and we, we were accepted, um, but the students that are MSDPs this year chose to defer their enrollment to work with the, the faculty up here um, in University Park to develop the curriculum and test pilot a few things. Um, so I think in that sense it's very similar, but it's, I think it's been really useful, at least from my perspective, to get the student mind perspective into the curriculum, um, and I think that's been really good for, for the development as, as we look forward. So uh, let me make sure I get it. So you you were accepted. You could have what? You could have gone to Hershey, or you could have 
you could have started your medical education early, but you chose actually to be part of the uh, startup of the curriculum that's starting at, at University Park on the main Penn State campus and as opposed to Hershey. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's totally correct. So we all applied last cycle uh, to be medical students in a, a normal program and applied to a wide variety of programs like any medical student applicant would, got accepted to, to several of those programs, but ultimately chose to, instead of starting you know, this past uh, fall at one of those programs, to instead be medical student design partners here and defer our time. Wow, that's really uh, cool. Mark, uh, how, your comment on this process and what you've noticed in it. I appreciate what both Tom and Jason have have said and would add. What a leap of faith. I mean, it's incredible the the risk, and I feel we'll probably get into that at, at some level. One of the valuable lessons I'd like to share with the, the listeners is if you're engaging in an innovation, what you call the process matters. So we, we just by rote started the process using the Nosology student design partner. And that created a lot of confusion in some of the clinical practices around the area. Folks were unfamiliar with the term, uh, and, and it, it slowed us down in terms mm. of innovation and piloting what we were trying to do from an educational sense. So we did settle on the medical student design partners so that folks with a clinical mind might be able to better understand that, yeah, in fact, these are students who have been accepted to medical school, and it's okay to treat them in the same way. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting how important the language, you know, so the language in these change processes, you're, to a certain extent, you're, you're developing new institutional artifacts, and what you call them does matter a lot, and, and, when peop- and because they're new, people can become easily confused, so it's interesting how inserting that, um, just including medical student as opposed to just student design partner, helped, helped clarify things. So, um, so this is all part. So uh, the, what the main medical campus of Penn State is is in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. I'm um, formerly lived in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, so I am familiar with that part of the world. And and um, uh, the 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 regional medical campus at University Park has existed, but it's now, if, if I've got my facts straight, is going to offer a full. Um, medical education curriculum on the University Park campus. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so that's in, and that'll start in, in 2017. And so I guess the, the first question is what, prom, you know, Penn State's got a great medical campus at Hershey. What prompted them to uh, establish a campus uh, in University Park where the, where the main campus of Penn State is located? It's an important question and and one that that merits a little bit of a walk I feel into into the history of Pennsylvania and Penn State. So the main University Park campus was founded in 1855 as a land grant institution and specifically put here um, to avoid, as I've come to understand it, the vices of the city. So put things out in the country and people will focus on their studies. So being an isolated agricultural school has its pros and cons. And as the years went by, you know, Penn State joined the Big Ten, and there are any number of examples of Big Ten institutions where you have the law school, the medical school, and other other schools right there centrally located. The main benefactor for the School of Medicine was Milton Hershey. It's the Milton S. Hershey Medical Center there in Hershey. And so really linking the finance and the geography is how it wound up in Hershey. A few years ago, we started 
seeing having third and fourth year medical students come up here um, for a clinical experience, and that's been so wildly successful conversations at the state level, recognizing a need for you know training physicians who hopefully are going to stay home and practice in Pennsylvania, led to that this is a natural fit to expand to a small regional campus here in University Park. Uh, so I think the the big things that we're trying to jump into here at University Park, um, we're trying to build, in a lot of ways, a, a comparable experience to what's at Hershey, and in either case will lead to wonderful physicians is our hope. But we're really trying to push experiential learning here. Um, and, and the other large thing that we're trying to push here in University Park is kind of an asynchronous nature to that learning. So that, that to give you a, a, a glimpse, you'll, you'll spend time starting in your first year of, of medical school in clinics, so we're spending several mornings a week, starting in the first year, in clinics, working with doctors, working with nurses, working with patients, learning the stories of those patients and the challenges that they're facing in, in their healthcare and their medical situations, and then using that as the catalyst to go and, and read a textbook and go and have a, a seminar session and learn more about your patients that you're working with as opposed to just learning about the next chapter of the textbook. I think that's kind of at the core of what we're doing here. Other, yeah. other comments about the, uh, the aims of the the experience at uh, University Park? So just to add on to that, uh, I think Tom explained it pretty well, but I, I think it's, for me, what drew me to the, the idea was that it's a way that we can sort of retain empathy um, in medical students is, is by teaching them these different diseases and different pathologies, not as pages in a book, but actually as, as patients, remembering that the patients are human and are having this human experience. And so whenever I think about COPD, I don't think about a certain lecture or a certain textbook page I think about a certain patient that I saw in clinic, and I think that really helps maintain the empathy that is so often lost in medical students as they as they spend so much of their time buried in textbooks. They lose that empathy that a lot of for a lot of us drove us into medical um, field to begin with. So, if I were to summarize it in the language of our text, we were talking about the whole new physician, uh, yeah. the same ways that a whole new engineer was talking about the differences in in engineering education. I think that's fair, and I think, you know, one of the things we want to embrace is that at the end of the day, Penn State is one team and one system, and we hope to, at the end product, as Tom alluded to, we want people to be reassured that our graduates are of equal excellence, whether they're engaged in the immersive curriculum at University Park or the Hershey curriculum, our end products are going to wind up being outstanding docs. That's, that's the end game. Yeah, and so it's, so it's interesting. Sometimes we think there's a false choice between, um, say, rigor or excellence uh, in task and, uh, and having high high. high high touch or high empathy or high relationship, high value of relationship. And I think the work like um, the work on polarity management or other, other ways of viewing it is that you, it, there may be some, some trade-offs to have, but they're at the, the margins are pretty, they're pretty minor. If we think about what's the good stuff, high empathy and high relationship, as well as high rigor and, and excellence and, and um, high technical excellence, both comment. For 
for me, I think that is very, very well said. I think if you look at medicine uh, in a holistic way, there are some elements or specialties that are high technical and others that are high cognition, others that would be high perhaps empathy. Uh, and, and so the sort of the one size fits all, the tailor approach, if you will, um, isn't necessarily you know, always the only way to, to go about it. And, and I feel like what we're offering is a system does give several approaches that will, and, and at times here in University Park, we will need to be more technical than cognitive. Um, but having the fluidity and the flexibility in this small enterprise here, I think really gives us um, the lean advantage to be able to go after this pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a great point. I had an ophthalmologist that had the bedside manner of a toad, but my uh, my my implant for my cataract is uh, serving wonderfully, and I I see great. So it didn't actually much matter as I saw him for a grand total of half an hour or so. But he he handled the operation well. And then on the other hand, if you've got a, a family practitioner who who has similar kind of bedside manner, that that that's problematic. Agreed. So, um, you know, so I was reading the, the medical college added students as part of a systems navigation curriculum. I, I, I'm guessing that that was mainly at the Hershey campus back in 2014. Uh, what was that innovation and will it be a part of the University Park experience? So I, I think we were referring to there as kind of the patient navigation uh, setup that, was, that started in, in Hershey a few years ago. And so really what, what they have there is, is they have medical students, again, starting from the, the beginning of their, their medical school training, will go and spend some amount of time, I think they're going about half a day every other week or so, um, working with patients and, and getting kind of that face time to learn the story of a particular patient and do patient navigation work. And what I mean by patient navigation work is, is being their advocate in a, a system sense in, in medicine that if, yep. if what they need is... is more education about their diagnosis. You can work with them to figure that out. If what you need is logistical support, you, you're not able to find transportation to get to the doctor's office, they'll try to help you know, work with local NGOs or government organizations to help with that, um, those sorts of things. Just kind of being learning about what, what challenges the person, the, the patient you're working with needs and then trying to help them to meet those challenges. Uh, so that's, that's what they started in Hershey. And we really, we fully believe that that idea is, is a good way to go. And so we're taking kind of that, that system of patient navigation and really just trying to expand upon it so that we can have even more opportunities for our, our students to early in their career and, and throughout their career in medicine be advocates for their patients, take that time to listen and, and learn the story of, of their patients so that they can help them in the ways that the patients want to be helped, to understand their prioritization and, and what it is that those people need and then work towards helping them, even if you don't fully at that moment understand the, all the technical facts of their medical situation. Yeah. And so, uh, and I, I think I met Mark in connection. We, I think we exchanged emails first along the lines of talking about uh, the book, A Whole New Engineer. And I understand that uh, that book was used as part of, at some point in the process, and, uh, but I'm not exactly sure how. In what ways has, the, has some of the, uh, the, the ideas and the Olin experience, the iFoundry experience influence um, what's happening at, at uh, University Park? I think the book has been useful in, in several ways. I think, um, I think it's important to, you know, sort of for Penn State College of Medicine, um, there, there are four pillars that we have that we, we want to follow in the construct of medical education, a basic science track, clinical science track, humanities, and health systems. And I think that's important because that gives you a rough framework. 
so the first way I think that book was helpful is in the in the realm of courage. In other words, knowing that somebody else out there had tried to do something that that perhaps swam upstream, perhaps went tangential to tradition, um, and that they struggled, uh, but ultimately succeeded, I think was very, very helpful. I also think it helped in the in the context of what I would call strategy and vision. So knowing and learning some of the problems faced by faculty and students at Olin uh, has been helpful in terms of predicting possible challenges and potential solutions here at University Park. As an example, um, faculty development. So not all faculty are going to think a new and innovative curriculum is a good idea. And so how do you think about that in advance and what strategies can you use to potentially help folks who like to do things a certain way reconsider and come on board. Yeah, nice. Thanks, and thanks for sharing that. I was just curious the ways in which uh, it was helpful. I, I, this has been great stuff. I wanted. I think the, in the next segment we want to dig deeper into what the partners' year has been like. Uh, you, I think you're halfway through it, and and uh, kind of find out what uh, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and what you've learned from all that. How about that? Sounds great. This is Big Deacon Radio with our special guests from uh, uh, University Park uh, Regional Medical Campus of Penn State University. Stay with us, and in the next segment, we're going to we're going to talk about this partner year, partners year, what's worked, and and uh, what what's been learned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. The second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your edu- your organization, your educational institution, uh, especially work with uh, schools on, on, on doing work with what we call shift skills as opposed to soft skills to make sure that uh, teachers can show up in both expert and coach for the education of the future. So, um, and uh, uh, you can ask our 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 guest questions or make comments about the program on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And uh, we're rejoined by our, our uh, guest from the 
Medical Camp, Regional Medical Campus of Penn State University at University Park, Mark Stevens, uh, Dr. Mark Stevens, and medical students, uh, medical student um, design partners, Thomas Luck and um, Jason Spiker. And uh, before the break, we were we were kind of just talking about this whole experience. You, you guys uh, uh, took a little detour in your medical education to be part of this uh, cool experience to design a new education for uh, medical doctors. And um, and as part of uh, it's as you know, as part of uh, Olin College's startup, uh, and as part of uh, iFoundry startup at the University of Illinois. Uh, Students were involved in the process before either of those programs were launched, um, and I and, uh, and and I guess we've talked a little bit about how students were selected as di- design partners and how students uh, selected to be um, uh, design partners. But so let's start with the the, the two students. Uh, what's the experience uh, been like? This isn't uh, this isn't your grandmother's uh, medical education. Yeah, so I I would totally agree with that. This is uh, it's it's been an enlightening and, and different process. I'd say the the two words that really come to mind, and I think of what we've done so far are, are delightful and humbling. And I think it's been equal parts both of those. It's been delightful in the sense that we've we've really gotten to learn a lot. I think I've I've been able to learn more in the six months that I've been a, a medical student design partner than I could have imagined in in six months of medical school. I guess we'll see once I get that that opportunity. But I feel like every day, just being a part of, of piloting some of the content and, and being part of the meetings where we plan about how is it that we can teach students the best, I feel like the learning is just pretty exceptional and extraordinary. Um, but, but very much, it's also been humbling. I've, I've come to really recognize what it is that I, I do know about education from my years in being a teacher and, what I, and how that can fit into medical education and also kind of how that doesn't quite fit and, and the, the huge, vast amounts of, of information that I'm still learning on a day-to-day basis. And also then as a, a student, um, someone who's, who would like to one day be a, a medical professional but is not one yet to kind of make decisions and, and have my, my voice be heard in, in, uh, in matters of medical education. It's, it's been empowering but also very much humbling. Yeah, I would, I would echo, echo everything uh, Tom has to say. I, I also um, came into this year without much experience in, in education, uh, formal experience. I was part of a, a redesign of our honors program. But beyond that, um, I have, I've had very little experience in curriculum building. And so for me, it's just been really fascinating to learn about these different uh, research and learning styles, uh, not necessarily learning styles, but learning techniques um, and teaching styles. And for me, that's that's been something new. Um, and has made me consider going into medical education, whereas before I was I was very set on just practicing medicine. So we'll see where this takes me. So that's interesting. This experience may be raising the next uh, generation of medical educators. But so I want I, I love the uh, uh, dichotomy of uh, delight and humbling. And so what can you give me a, a practical, for instance, of something that was joyful, a particular experience, something where there was a huge smile on your face because of it, because of, of doing this? Was there some particular moment that stands out that you can recall and share? Yeah, I think really it was, it was kind of the, the tinkering that we've been doing with kind of the, the core set of, of our activities for medical students. So we're, we're kind of spending some time in the clinic working with patients, and then we're hoping that we can take away enough intrinsic motivation and content topics that we can then talk about them in, in our discussion groups and, and kind of build research from there. Um, and, and after kind of playing with 
a bunch of models of doing that. I think what was really joyful for me was kind of seeing it feel like it was working for the first time. And that did take a couple of months and a couple of tries, right? Where we we're we're not just doing kind of lecture based things and we're not just doing seminars based on topics predetermined by a textbook. This this kind yeah. of model of, of asynchronous experiential learning was risky um, in my eyes that, that I, I hoped that it would work. It sounded so great, and yet I had never experienced anything quite like that in my, my prior educational experiences. So really to kind of run through that experience successfully as a whole and see that that cycle, um, which we hope will repeat itself thousands more times in our medical education, just to see that it could work, that I, I could meet a patient with with uh, lower back pain and, and find ways that I could help them now, but also find questions that I wanted to learn more about the medicine behind their, their medical ailments and how I could then help them more if I knew those things, and then bring that to my inquiry group, our discussion group, and, and talk about that and have other students and, and our preceptors, our faculty members, be interested in that and say, okay, well, let's go research it. Then we all go out and research it, come back together and, and talk about it further. And then I see that same patient again. I think seeing that same patient again has been extraordinary because you do know more. You, you remember yeah. everything from last time. You keep the empathy, like Jason was saying, a little more than maybe you would have otherwise. But now you say, I, I remember the things that I thought I could help you with last time, but now also I can talk to you at a little deeper level because I've done some work since then. And then the third time you meet with a person, you can get it even deeper. And, and thankfully, yeah. some of these patients I've gotten to meet with, even in six months, I meet with the same patient four or five times. So you really start to get that longitudinal growth seen. Yeah, nice. And how, yeah. Jason, for that wasn't your dichotomy, but any any yeah. delightful experiences for you during um, your your partner's year? Sure, sure. I think for me, a big thing that drew me to this program early on was seeing the just the um, sheer excitability of of the the teachers and and doctors that are in this program, mm-hmm. and seeing how well we've come together as a team developing the curriculum has just been amazing. The fact that you can get gather five incoming medical students and a team of doctors, educators and get them all together in one room, and just the ideas that we bounce off of each other um, and how well we work together as a team has just been amazing that, that it's all worked out so well with such sort of a, a random group of people coming together for a common goal. So that's why I've taken away is just being fabulous this year. Yeah, we, and, and being a little student-centered and asking the, the, the students, but Mark, uh, any, uh, any delight on your part? Boy, I... I got a whole list of things here, Dave, that I think have been absolutely delightful. I think there have been clinical aha moments working with the medical student design partners in the clinic and seeing um, them for the first time feel an abnormal thyroid as an example or, um, you know, come to what might be the right diagnosis for the first time. Those aha moments are just, you know, why, why I'm in the business. That's one of the greatest feelings in the world. We've had some academic aha moments this year. Two of our design partners are getting published already in the medical literature. That's that's crazy. That's so exciting. Mm. And there have been some personal aha moments. You know, this is a slog. It's a tough, tough journey. You're going to have some ups. You're going to have some downs. Uh, but we, we have a very, very thoughtful group of medical student design partners. And so seeing the personal growth um, that each of them has made has been a real aha for me as well. Yeah, and that's so and, and that's so exciting, and and the the, the counterpoint was humbling, and um, and of course, you know, we say in these things that we value failure and we value um, humility. I uh, we've had Ed Shine on the show, and he's written um, a book called um, uh, 
humble consulting and and uh, hum, humble in, inquiry and things like that. We, we say that word, but it's not clear that we always are really up for up for its lessons. But what uh, was there something that was particularly humbling uh, that didn't work and that you had to face up to? Um, let's start with you, Mark. Yeah, I think probably uh, I'll, I'll use bummer is the word <laughs> that I'll choose here is we thought we had done our homework. We thought we had socialized what we were shooting for or aiming for with some of our practices. Uh, and then to have the design partners, the medical student design partners, go to these practices and not be utilized to their full potential early in the experience was a real bummer. Uh, in other words, they would often go to the practice and sit off on the margin you know, not being able to fully engage, not being able to participate truly as a member of the team. So, so that was a real, for me, one of the real bummers of the early process. And so, but, but apparently that was fixed by, by some, some changes, some iteration. So a couple of things. One was we talked about already, you know, renaming this, you know, mm. and, and just, re, re, just the simple nomenclature really did make a difference. And then I think job descriptions, position descriptions, those sort of things are important. You know, framing expectations would be the, the, second, the second key point that I agree with you helped to turn that around. And then the other thing we learned is we do have some practices up here that are used to the academic environment and others that are used to what I would call the, the more traditional solo practice type models that's focused on business and productivity vice education. And so yeah. choosing our practices wisely has been another lesson. That's so interesting, and, and I, we say it on the show, and we tell people when we do uh, when we do workshops with faculty on this these kinds of transformative change. But we often say the most important thing are these these change artifacts, like the titles and what you call things, the story that you call out, and nobody believes us <laughs> that that's actually the most important thing. But how can you know, it's especially hard, I think, for medical doctors and engineers and scientists to think that stories and labels are actually the most important thing to getting these things to work, but uh, that's been my experience up up and down. And when you have effective language and you have effective names and labels for things, it just facilitates, it just makes it so much easier for people to accept it and kind of then once, and then you know you're winning once they start to use your language and they start to adopt the, the practices like, oh yeah, that's a very natural thing, even though it's brand new, hasn't been around for more than a week or two, but they, as soon as they start using your language and names and labels and playing your game, it's, well, it's, it's like a board, you're creating a new board game is yep. what I liken it to, uh, and comment. I would agree, um, and, and again, I, I I'm used to things occurring at a relatively quick pace. Medicine is a pretty brisk business as a rule, either in the academic or in the in the business or sorry, the practice world. But change is slow. And so I, I think that would be the only comment that I would add is I've learned that patience is another important yeah. uh, element of this entire process. Yeah. Other other comments before we move on from uh, from uh, Tom or Jason? Yeah, I, I think in terms of, of language and things like that, it was interesting because as, as a, an incoming medical student, there's already just in, in general in medicine a huge full language of, of words that I need to learn and become comfortable with that it really has taken us some time to learn. Um, and so that, I think in a way, gave us additional flexibility because we, we didn't know how things were supposed to be. We didn't know quite what, what you're mm. supposed to call a lot of these sorts of things. And so then... It, it opened us up to being able to quickly normalize to uh, 
models that weren't as traditional. Uh, and so I think that actually helped us. And then once it was normalized between the medical student design partners and, and some of the faculty here, then that allowed that culture to spread more pervasively, like you were saying. And once you do that, then it kind of moves forward. Yeah, and I do think it, it is a good example of how this design process works. So we, we run into a barrier or a, a problem, and then we stop and address it and tweak it, and then we keep trying it and see what things we can keep tweaking as we go. So I think it's it's been a really good, um, from a design standpoint, it's been a really good year for that. Yeah. So you know, one of the things, that, and, and maybe the stereotypes that I'm getting from you, know, I've watched Dr. Kildare and various general hospital, and the t there's a lot of television that, uh, that that shows doctors uh, some of it in a good bit of it I'm sure inaccurate but 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 I think that the stereotype is of medical education being fair in the past being fairly uh, directive the expert doctor goes on goes on rounds with uh, with uh, with the medical students and asks uh, questions that the students are expected to know the answers to and it's more of a judgmental kind of thing did you get it right or wrong and can you explain your diagnosis um, uh, in, in what ways does, does this program, and, and, and is that stereotype still, uh, still exist? And, 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 uh, if it, if it does exist, in what ways does this kind of medical education upend that communications pattern? I think in, in a lot of ways that, that stereotype has some grounding and, and reason, um, uh, and, and the biggest thing that I think we've been able to do here and are, are in the continual process of working on is really just making a culture where failing is normalized, um, that, that yes, absolutely, you'll be working with a doctor and, and you'll see a patient and then the doctor might ask you questions about that. And as the medical student, you're bound to get some of these questions wrong. Um, and especially, I think, in our case, because usually you're not doing that until your third or fourth year of medicine. And in our case, we're doing that pretty much starting with day one. So, when I meet with a, a cardiologist and, and a patient with some, some heart issues, and then the cardiologist, you know, walks me out into the hallway and says, well, what do you think's going on and what medication should we give and, and, you know, what should we do here? I'm going to very quickly run into a place where I, I honestly have no factual opinion, right? I, I don't really know. Um, I haven't been able, I haven't had, had enough time to really feel like I have a researched answer. Um, and so I think that could be a very stressful moment. And often the, the stereotype in medical school, I'd say, talking to lots of peers, that, that is a very stressful moment. Uh, thankfully, what we're starting to do here is, is recognize the situation, right? Realize that, that I'm, I'm choosing in our, our curriculum, we're choosing to put students in, in places yeah. like that where you, you couldn't possibly really know the answer. And so what you can do is, is do the best you can. Um, and, and that will hopefully get you somewhere. So we're trying to put students in the position where they try They'll, they'll say, I don't know a lot about this heart condition, but from what I do know, how about this medication? How about this procedure? How about this test? Um, and, and putting it in a, a situation where, where the student can try and will get it wrong and knows that in trying they will get it wrong, but that that's okay, I think that that's the way we're breaking the stereotype, is not that it's such a pass or fail moment, that it's really a, a constructive building moment. And if you do that hundreds of times, eventually that will give you enough motivation after each one where you say, okay, well, I didn't know the answer there, but let me go and research it. So next time I'll know the answer to that question. Oh, you asked me a different question. Okay, let's go through the process again. And eventually you'll actually start to know what you're talking about over time. I yeah, think that's I, so, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I, was go ahead. Say, I, I do think uh, what Tom's saying is very true. And especially as we look at sort of oral assessments, um, oral tests, one, one thing we've been piloting is different assessment methods. And so one, one way we've done that is present a case, um, 
a doctor would present a case to us and then start asking us questions about the case, not asking us not only what treatment options we would do, but sort of why do we think that's a good idea. And so this, this makes a comfortable space for failure, but also allows the, the assessor to, to sort of give directed feedback um, exactly where we need it, which I think is very helpful in terms of learning rather than just saying that you failed and go home and try again another day. It's interesting because historically, I'll call it the Socratic approach, um, and, I, and I'm going to put that in quotes, rather large quotes, in yep. medicine um, is actually been something that is in, inside medicine It's called pimping. In other words, you ask students questions until they get something wrong. Um, and it sets up a, a situation where two words come into play for me, the word shame and or the word guilt. In yeah. other words, with this, this system of progressive inquiry, forcing folks into a corner until they, until they are, are proven, quote, wrong, um, that can be very threatening and that can be very difficult and that can be shackling, I feel, for the learning process. And so we're explicitly trying to turn that around in the context of what I would call guided inquiry. In other words, based on prior experience, activating prior knowledge, allowing the students, hopefully, in a safer way, um, to come up with answers that are wrong and not to be afraid of taking a risk rather than being afraid of getting a wrong answer. Wow. I, and, you know, I, I just did a, a workshop down in Brazil with some, with some amazing consultants, and, and one of the high points of that work is to show Brene Brown's video of the power of vulnerability and, and this idea that, a, that actually medical education or engineering education or these other hardcore Edu- education types that have used shame, um, un- unashamedly used shame to kind of uh, get get students to do the work and turning that around and having it br- be driven by curiosity in this way just is amazing to me. Opportunity for, for question answering um, and then using that and saying, oh, well, I have shame and guilt, so I, I better go learn so the next time I have less shame and guilt really, you know, switching the affect there and making it more positive so that you can have that opportunity and get some of it right, but not get all of it right, recognize that, you know, it's a growth process, then, then now you have the intrinsic motivation, hopefully, the, the motivation to say, I can do better, or I want to do better for my patient, for my, the doctor who I'm working with for myself, so that then you go home and do the research and come back and, and build on what you did before, as opposed to saying, well, I failed last time, hopefully I'll fail less this time. I think it's just an affect change that's, that's important to the process. Beautiful. Hey, th- let's, let's take another break and... Um Come back and talk about where, where, this is, where this is all headed in the last segment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com 
or browse the Three Joy website, www.3joy.com today. are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored uh, by Big Beacon itself. And and uh, next week we will welcome a, a new sponsor to the show. And uh, others who would like to sponsor the program can can write to me at uh, deg at bigbeacon.org to find out how you can do that. So in the last segment uh, we return uh, we return with uh, Mark Stevens, uh, Tom Luck, and and Jason Spiker from the Penn State's. Uh, Regional Medical Campus at University uh, Park, and and we've been talking about this uh, this this new medical education uh, that's uh, walks away a little bit from shaming students into knowing stuff, and more about uh, intrinsic motivation, getting them to be curious and and uh, embrace education uh, that serves serves them. And so, you know, I, the word culture was used in the last segment, and. Uh, and, we, and on this show, we don't throw that that uh, that word around lightly. We usually are, we spend time looking at different models of culture and, and think about well, what what does that mean? So, in what um, in what ways would you characterize the culture at uh, this new program as as being interesting, different, noteworthy? Mark, let's start with you. And I'm really interested to hear the perspective of the medical student design partners on this as well. Um, anytime I personally hear in an organizational context the word culture, Peter Drucker immediately comes to my mind in the phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I feel that we have been very intentional from day one about being sensitive to culture. And as I was contemplating what what would I describe our culture as, I, I came up with, with um, five things. I think grit is part of our culture. This group does not give up. I think resilience is part of this culture. This group is able to take a punch and step back and come back at it. Um, Teamwork absolutely is part of this culture. Transparency is part of this culture, and trust is part of this culture. And I think I'm sure there are other descriptors that others might want to add or we could could debate, Um, but as I as I was contemplating what would I characterize as some of our core cultural elements, those are the factors that come to mind. And I would argue if you can have a culture based on those five elements, you're going to have some tough times and you're going to have some good times, but that nucleus, I think, portends well for long-term success. Uh, Tom or Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I I agree with Dr. Stevens. I think Teamwork has been especially important this year, and that will definitely carry over into next year. Um, given our smaller class size, we're going to be we're going to need to work as a team to to go through our education. It'll be only helpful for us. I think another thing I would like to add is curiosity, and this sort of adds to what Tom was saying earlier about intrinsic motivation. But I think finding students to join us next year that are that are curious and and can allow their curiosity to drive the medical education um, rather than sort of a passive approach to education will be vastly important and make for a, a better experience for everyone involved. Yeah, and I 
I would definitely echo all those points and add in that, that I think comfort is a big part of it um, and, and a big part of wellness in general. I think that, that there's, there's certainly been a roller coaster here a little bit, you know, some ups and some downs as, as we figure out exactly what we're hoping to do with the specifics with our curriculum. Uh, medical school in general, whether here or anywhere else, anywhere else I think is a, a very high-stress venture for, for students, and I'm sure in a lot of ways for faculty members as well. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that the culture that we've built here allows us to, to say that and to be very honest with each other and, and to be there for each other, that, that we, when things don't work, you don't feel alone. You feel like, okay, well, I, I felt like that didn't work. What do you feel like? And other people will say, oh, well, you know, I thought that that didn't work. Or did you look at it from this perspective that we can really come together um, and reflect in an honest and open way and, and laugh when things don't work as opposed to crying. I think it's, it's been really nice in that regard that, that we can recognize that some things haven't worked perfectly and say, okay, well, what can we do? What, what was good about that? What was curious about that? What was interesting about that? Okay, how can we take those pieces and, and make it work better? And it's, it's really spinning things towards the positive. And I think we've, we've been able to be comforting to each other to a- enable better wellness um, at a personal level, but also at a professional level. I think that, that helps with being more efficient and being more effective just because you're, you're able to actually communicate. Yeah, so that's that's a great, that's a wonderful um, list, and and in a number of ways uh, corresponds to the some of the things that we talk about in in a whole whole new engineer. And and I guess I'm curious about so one of the challenges in going from a pilot where you've got a small number of people engaged in something cool to a uh, uh, somewhat larger uh, full scale run is um, how to get the same kind of affect. Um, that you valued in the pilot in the in the main event. So, and I and I thought I heard is is it the case? Um, I, I in in the discussions just now I heard something about having students join us. Will will all the students coming to the University Park campus be involved in this kind of thing, or do they have a choice of being part of this kind of more collaborative, trusting, curious group? Or or is, is there a group that gets to do it the old-fashioned way and there's a group that gets to do it the, this other way? How, how's that going to work in transition to the uh, opening of the, the full thing in the, in the fall of 2017? Yeah, so, so David, so, that's, that's a great question. I'll take this in, in the context, or at least the, the opening salvo is, um, this is something, again, I think we've been actively thinking and talking about. The five medical student design partners we have now have become a very highly functioning team. And then that team will expand to probably 12 is the number we're thinking about for the fall. And so we, we acknowledge that there is a real risk there of potentially splitting within the team. So, so being very intentional and thoughtful about choosing the team um, is, is something that is in, in the forefront of our minds. Uh, and, and that will require some element of a change, if not in, di- in culture, at least in, in dynamics. The exciting thing, though, is that, that medical education has been traditionally very proscriptive. You know, you have X amount of time. It's a time-based yep. thing. And we're hoping to maybe take a look at that. I, I will tell you from my faculty perspective, the volume of information that our medical student design partners have learned at this point, I would put them up toe-to-toe with a first-year med student and, and watch them succeed. My point being is that they have learned a ton this year, and it would be wonderful to keep a conversation open moving forward about how can that perhaps be used for them so that not everybody has to go through at the same pace 
Um, people can go through, if they need a little extra time, great. If they need a little less time, great. But, but you ask a very good question for me that comes back to teamwork in terms of, you know, how is this going to look in the fall? Yeah, so, that, so, so, well, so, there will, so there will be some portion of the class that doesn't go into, the, into this cohesive group. There'll be some that come onto the regional campus, and how will that be structured? So there'll be so, 100, 138 down at Hershey ah, and 12 here. And then let me stop ah, and let the, let the MSDPs add. No, I, I, was, I was very much going to, to say that. So, so basically, the model we're using for admissions this year is, is people are applying to the Penn State College of Medicine as a whole. Yeah. There's one application set. Um, they'll go to Hershey, do their, their uh, medical school interview there, get accepted to the Penn State College of Medicine, um, and then we're looking at that subset of people. So, so most of the people who are accepted to the Penn State College of Medicine and matriculate will end up in Hershey. They have, you know, 130-some, and we're only trying to choose 12. Uh, but we're trying to choose those 12 out of that pool of students who've already been selected to the greater Penn State College of Medicine. Uh, so everyone who's here, all 12 of the people that end up here next year as first-year medical students, will be doing the curriculum all together. We're kind of building one set here, uh, and then the rest of the people will be in Hershey. Well, then that's beautiful, and 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 it actually, you know, at some point you can imagine if if your experiment is wildly successful that it'll be pulled back to the Hershey campus. But that just goes along with everything that we know about effective change. Having John Cotter uses the term um, dual operating system, and so you're you're running this experiment um, and and seeing its benefits, experimenting at the same time, and if it if it works out, so it can be scaled, you can always. Uh, uh, pull it somewhere else. Anyway, sounds sounds like great stuff. We we just have a, a minute or so before we uh, our time's gone so quickly, and I, I wish we could um, talk some more. But let's give you each uh, like a single narrative uh, uh, sentence that you'd like. What would you like to leave our listeners with in a single sentence? Let's start with you, Tom. Uh, I just hope that we can we can expand this mindset. Whether whether you end up whether other medical schools end up doing anything that's related to our actual curriculum, um, I'm hopeful, but I think much more than that, it's, it's the mindset of, of design thinking and being willing to change and, and modernize as you see fit that the world around us changes so fast, and I hope we can follow through with that in medical education. Beautiful. Jason, how about you? Yeah, not to echo what Tom would say, but I think medical education is, is ripe for change. Um, there hasn't been a ton of, of changes over the past hundred years. It's, it's mainly been lecture-based, and so it's, it's encouraging to see more and more schools get behind design changes and, and design thinking when it comes to curriculum reform. So it's, it's an exciting time to be in medical education. And, and Mark, we'll give you the, the last word. And how can people find out more about your program? Well, in, in terms of a last word, um, to practice medicine in the 21st century, it's our hope that our graduates will be able to do the following three things. Um, that we're able to have them be lifelong curious individuals, so to promote curiosity. Number two, healthcare is very complex, so having them learn in a health systems context to manage complexity and then to embrace context. Um, and we are at www.psu.edu, and if you search medicine, you'll be able to find us. Um, and thank you very, very much for the opportunity to have a conversation today. Beautiful stuff, guys. Best, best wishes as you, as you launch, in, launch in the fall. You've been listening really to Big Deacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our, our guests, Mark Stevens, Tom Luck, and, and Jason Spiker from uh, Penn State's uh, Regional Medical Campus at University Park. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. 
Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.